Hey there, welcome back. Let's see if there's anything exciting in Midas Touch this morning. 7.50. Iceland the volcano erupts again. At the Indian news station. Stunning hearing to axe my ear. This is like, uh, there, obviously. Um, pro right wing in India. Modi, remember when Modi? No, there's Modi and Bolsonaro. Is Modi still in office? I don't know. Winter storm grips the U.S. Powerful winter storm. Um, that's uh, the same. India source, Washington Post, Denmark's crown prince Frederick proclaimed king. They're still, they're going on about the stuff that happened like two days ago in Congress. Judge Cannon gives peculiar directive in case. Actual mafia threats, unhinged Dipodon threatens federal judge on eve of trial. Dipodon on very thin ice with fed up federal judge. Time to shut him down. Uh, Dipodon launches Hail Mary attack against Georgia prosecutor. Here he goes again. Cohen and Lincoln Project. Yeah. Just scorched earth on Dipodon. That sounds great. Jamie Braskin delivers devastating blow to Diaper Don live on air 11 hours ago. Look at this room. Let's I've never been happy with this layout, so here's how I maximize the space. Jamie Raskin when is a constitutional scholar. They ought to release the J6 hostages. They've suffered enough. I have concerns about the treatment of January 6 hostages. Um, the Republicans released hundreds and hundreds of hours of TV from January 6. They've had months to examine it. They've not come up with a single shot which uh, purports to capture an Antifa fighter or an FBI agent uh, inciting the insurrection, nothing. Uh, and yet they're still out there spreading their propaganda and disinformation about how it was uh, really Antifa and FBI agents, which of course would make it strange to uh, argue that all these people should be released and Trump's gonna pardon them. Like Donald Trump, who is uh, a huckster, a ripoff artist. <laughs> It was a tale of two rallies over the weekend, with Biden giving what many have described as his most notable and poignant speech to date. And Trump, well, he repeated all the same hits. The election was stolen, January 6th was a setup, even though I just said in a previous rally Nancy Pelosi was to blame and didn't send in the soldiers that he recommended, which would then contradict his past theory. Why would soldiers be needed for a tourist visit? First time in our history, insurrectionists had come to stop the peaceful transfer, transfer of power in America. Millions of people are storming the United States. When you talk about insurrection, what they're doing, that's, that's the real deal. That's the real deal, not patriotically and peacefully. Trump's mob wasn't a peaceful protest. It was a violent assault. Release the J6 hostages, Joe. 
Release him, Joe. Trump's assault on democracy isn't just part of his past. It's what he's promising for the future. Anyway, the juxtaposition was clear to see and expertly outlined by Jamie Raskin as he joined Jen Psaki to discuss, not only outlining the clear differences between speeches. For me and Kamala, our campaign is about America. It's about you. First they say, sir, how do you do it? How do you wake up in the morning and put on your pants? Look at the authoritarian leaders and dictators. Trump says he admires. President Xi of China, strong, smart, tough. Putin liked me. I liked, I got along. I got along with Kim Jong-un, Saddam Hussein. And I will say, they hung that sucker and he spit right in their face. But, you know, tough guy. When he visited cemeteries, called dead soldiers suckers and losers. John McCain, for some reason, couldn't get his arm up that day. Remember, he goes... And we just have to go out and educate America about what actually has happened and trust in the good common sense of the people that they will recognize in Joe Biden, um, you know, an honorable public servant who's been devoted to the common good his entire life uh, versus Donald Trump, who is uh, a huckster, a ripoff artist, a compulsive liar and a danger to the republic. The Trump's own contradictions on January 6th. Obviously, it's a major insult and affront to the families of uh, actual hostages still being held by Hamas uh, in uh, in Gaza right now. But look, um, something struck me yesterday. Uh, it was sort of the dog that didn't bark. Um, the Republicans released hundreds and hundreds of hours of TV uh, uh, security tape from Mm -hmm. January 6th. They've had months to examine it. They've not come up with a single shot which uh, purports to capture an Antifa fighter or an FBI agent uh, inciting the insurrection, nothing. Uh, And yet they're still out there spreading their propaganda and disinformation about how it was uh, really Antifa and FBI agents, which of course would make it strange to uh, argue that all these people should be released and Trump's going to pardon them. Why would he want to pardon all these Antifa fighters? So there's no logic in their presentation. It really is characteristic of what you get from authoritarian and fascist political parties. And this seems to be part of the course for Republicans, as Elise Stefanik was given free reign during a marshmallow interview where she described insurrectionists as, wait for it, hostages. Laterally, on the issue of election integrity, though, as you know, Trump took his case to court more than 60 times that there was fraud. He didn't win. But I want to get back to this key question. Do you still think it was a tragic day? Do you think that the people who stormed the Capitol should be held responsible to the full extent of the I law. have concerns about the treatment of January 6 hostages. Uh, I have concerns. We have a role in Congress of oversight over our treatments of prisoners. Uh, and I believe that we're seeing the weaponization of the federal government against not just President Trump, but we're seeing it against conservatives. We're seeing it against Catholics. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so proud to serve on the Select Committee on the Weaponization of the Government, because the American people want answers. And that is undemocratic and it's shredding our constitution. And you know who agrees with me, Kristen? The American people. That's why President Trump is winning in poll after poll. Which again follows suit with the Republican strategy of distorting and whitewashing that day's event, all while contradicting themselves. First, it was a tourist visit. We were asked the question by several of our colleagues, including Ms. Cheney, um, about statements that you made saying that 
The January 6th violent insurrection against Congress was akin to a normal tourist visit. Do you agree or disagree with the officers who spent four or five hours battling that medieval mob that had baseball bats and lead pipes and so on? Do you stand by the statement that the people that they were fighting were tourists, or would you agree with them that they were terrorists? Then it was Pelosi's fault for not bringing in the National Guard to deal with said tourists. Why would you need the National Guard to deal with tourists if they weren't doing anything? He repeated his false claim that Nancy Pelosi had been in charge of capital security on January 6, 2021. That is false, as is his claim that Pelosi rejected an offer of 10,000 National Guard troops that he made. There was no evidence he even made the offer. Pelosi says she never received such an offer. And in fact, it is Donald Trump, the president of the United States, who had the authority to uh, order the National Guard to the Capitol. Then it was an inside job, but let's pardon said inside job defendants. FBI can't find the pipe bomber? This is ridiculous. This shows you that the FBI doesn't care about finding the pipe bomber because they know exactly who the pipe bomber is. And they use their resources and your dollars to go after people because they support Trump and they were mad about the election of 2020 and these people walked in the Capitol. You see, this should never happen. The federal government should never be weaponized against the people and set up honeypots and traps to draw people in and, and actually take part in making these people commit crimes and then framing the people to set up a narrative against a president, it's wrong. And I believe that's what happened on January 6th. Why would you want to pardon Antifa and BLM if they were the ones responsible? And now it's hostages. I mean, how deranged are these people? The answer, very, and gullible. President Trump has talked about uh, uh, pardoning many of the people on day one who had, were involved in the assault on the Capitol. Uh, I think, frankly, that's a mistake for him. It Hence why Trump himself sends out videos like this to the full Spoonfall of migrant caravan fear-mongering. And on June 14th, 1946, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker, so God gave us Trump. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn fix this country, work all day, fight the Marxists, eat supper, then go to the Oval Office and stay past midnight at a meeting of the heads of state. So God made Trump. I need somebody with a deep state and yet gentle enough to deliver his own grandchild. Somebody to ruffle the feathers, tame cantankerous World Economic Forum. And people want Biden to reach across the aisle. There is no reaching for people willfully living in the sunken place. They care not for facts, which is why everything is malleable to them. No matter how many court orders prove the fact that the election was not stolen. The legal path just took Trump back to the truth. That I had won the election and he was a loser. We're going to win for the third time and I just don't want the results of the second. No matter how many times they contradict themselves over January 6th, no matter how many positive reports on the economy to the point that their cult leader is now trying to take credit for it after months of claiming that we were barred. I can't believe she uh, she said that about the pipe well, bomber because she's the fucking Ireland's pipe Walter bomber. The administration is running on the fumes of the great success of the Trump administration. They're just running on the fumes of what we did with the tax cuts uh. and the regulation cuts. Without uh. us, 
this thing would have crashed to levels never seen before. <laughs> Good news. Gas prices are down, stocks are hitting all-time highs, and consumer confidence is starting to rebound. And as the holiday shopping season enters the home stretch, people seem yes. to be feeling pretty jolly about the economy. The Consumer Confidence Index rose to more than 110 points. That's the highest number since July. The employers adding 216,000 jobs in December, up from the 175,000 that economists expected. The jobless rate remains at 3.7%. 36 months of job growth. Right. I think 20-plus of sub-4% unemployment as we stay at 3-7. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 2.7 2 million jobs added in the full year. It's just, a, it, it's a great economy and there's nothing about you can do about it. It's a great economy. I know it's tiring outlining this over and over, trust me, but we must never tire from telling the truth because democracy depends on it. This is, who did Donald Trump fight for? for the four years he was president, he accomplished two things. An extremist Supreme Court so that politicians, instead of women, would make decisions about abortion. And the second was a $2 trillion tax break, mostly for billionaires and millionaires and giant corporations. What has Joe Biden been fighting for, for his time in office? $35 insulin, Medicare drug negotiation, try to cut student loan debt, uh, get rid of junk fees, biggest climate package literally in the history of the world and paid for by my 15% minimum corporate tax on billionaire corporations profit. Thanks so much for watching. We're only a few subscribers short of 2 million subs. Please subscribe right now to the Midas Touch YouTube channel for free and help us grow this unapologetically pro-democracy network. Can't believe fucking perjury traitors. Then it was Pelosi's fault for not bringing in. As you know, okay, Trump took life. his case to court more than 60 times that there was fraud. He didn't win. But I want to get back to this key question. Do you still think it was a tragic day? Do you think that the people who stormed the Capitol should be held responsible to the full extent of the I law. have concerns about the treatment of January 6 hostages. Uh, I have concerns. We have a role in Congress of oversight over our treatments of prisoners. Uh, and I believe Fucking that we're traitor. seeing the weaponization of the federal government against not just President Trump, but we're seeing it against conservatives. We're seeing it against Catholics. Uh, and that's These one of the reasons why I'm so proud to serve in the Select of, Committee on the Weaponization of, of the Government. Because the American people want answers. And that is undemocratic and it's shredding our constitution. And you know who agrees with me, Kristen? The American people. That's why President Trump is winning in poll after poll. And she Exclamation point. Outrageous that. was mocking the F was complaining about the pipe bombers because she is the pipe bomber in Pipe bomber.
ridiculous. She's the pipe bomber. People should be run out of Congress as the traitors they are and put behind bars, not... It's outrageous. Perjury. Retard traitor peen. Complain about the pipe number bomber not being caught because she is a pipe bomber. In follows suit with the Republican strategy of distorting and whitewashing that day's event, all while contradicting themselves. First, it was a tourist visit. We were asked the question by several of our colleagues, including Ms. Cheney, um, about statements that you made saying that the January 6th violent insurrection against Congress was akin to a normal tourist visit. Do you agree or disagree with the officers who spent four or five hours battling that medieval mob that had baseball bats and lead pipes and so on? Do you stand by the statement that the people that they were fighting were tourists, or would you agree with them that they were terrorists? Then it was Pelosi's fault for not bringing in the National Guard to deal with said tourists. Why would you need the National Guard to deal with tourists if they weren't doing anything? He repeated his false claim that Nancy Pelosi had been in charge of Capitol security on January 6, 2021. That is an offer of 10,000 National Guard troops that he made. There was no evidence he even made the offer. Pelosi says she never received such an offer. And in fact, it is Donald Trump, the president of the United States, who had the authority to, uh, to order the National Guard to the Capitol. And it was an inside job, but let's pardon say. Mayor Biden. He refused. Mayor Bauer. Dang it. Refused. Inside job defendants. FBI can't find the pipe FBI bomber. FBI can't this find the pipe bomber. This is ridiculous. This doesn't care about finding the pipe bomber. Who the pipe bomber is. Who the pipe bomber and they is. The resources. And your resources. tax dollars to go after people. Because they support Trump. And they were mad about the election. And these people walked in the Capitol. You see, this should never should never the federal happen. government federal should, government never, be should never be weaponized the against the people instead of honeypots and traps. To draw people in and actually take part in making these people commit crimes. And then framing people and then the narrative against the president, against the president is wrong. What happened on January 6th. Why would you want to pardon Antifa and BLM if they were the ones responsible? And now it's hostages. I mean, that how do we are these people? The answer how, there. How come they and don't make it President possible Trump to make clips? About, uh, uh, pardoning many of the people on day one.
uh, were involved in the assault on the Capitol. Uh, I think, frankly, that's a mistake for him. It Hence why Trump himself sends out videos like this with a full chest, knowing they'll digest it with a spoonful of migrant caravan fear-mongering. And on June 14, 1946, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker, so God gave us Trump. Fucking ridiculous. Gross. Judge Cannon gives peculiar directive. She wants to see him. She wants to see him privately. Here is yet another example to show you that Judge Eileen Cannon's corruption is matched and perhaps exceeded by her incompetence. Here is a new minute order that Judge Eileen Cannon in the Southern District of Florida just issued. Just to remind you, she's the judge that's presiding over the uh, federal case against Donald Trump for the willful retention of national defense information where Trump stole top-secret information and sensitive compartmented information and wouldn't turn it over when it was discovered that he stole things that didn't belong to him. Give him back, Donald Trump. No, mine, mine. I can do whatever I want. Let's take a look at this minute order issued by Judge Eileen Cannon. Uh, here's what it says. Paperless order. In advance of the upcoming SEPA Section 4 hearings, and to assist in the court's evaluation of defendant's motion for access to SEPA Section 4 filings, the court hereby schedules a hearing with special counsel on January 31st, 2024 at 10 a.m. This hearing shall be conducted on a sealed ex parte basis in a facility suitable for the discussion of classified information contained in the Special Counsel's Section 4 filings. The court reserves ruling on defendant's motions for access to SEPA Section 4 filings pending the February 2024 SEPA Section 4 hearings and review of defendant's forthcoming SEPA Section 4 challenges, signed by Judge Eileen Cannon. So, what does all of that mean? SEPA, remember, is the Classified Information Protection Act. It's to uh, ensure and protect that classified information um, that doesn't belong in the public fora gets leaked out there and that uh, classified information be treated differently than normal discovery in criminal cases. So SEPA Section 4 is a sealed ex parte hearing where the criminal defendant is not allowed to att attend in general. That's what SEPA Section 4 is. So just to be clear, uh, in criminal cases, um, uh, there's a due process right. There's also a Sixth Amendment right. There's all of these rights that criminal defendants have to get discovery, to get documents that are uh, relevant to the case, that uh, are what's called Brady material, that would be uh, exculpatory evidence, and the government has to produce all of this evidence. But what happens in a case where there's highly sensitive and classified information, where if you turned it over, as you know, you're supposed to turn over records in a criminal case, it could actually jeopardize our national security 
And then wouldn't a criminal defendant, knowing that, try to utilize that to blackmail the government or graymail the government and say, if you don't dismiss this case against me, you have to turn over this national security records and I'll make it public and I'm going to harm the national security or else you could dismiss this case against me. So Congress enacted SEPA to address these concerns. And so you have like SEPA Section 3, which is a special protective order, uh, an agreement that's entered in these cases specifically for how mm. these highly sensitive documents are handled, where they can be viewed. They have to be viewed in SCIPs, sensitive compartmented information facilities. How do they even get transported? There has to be these special security officers who handle classified information for a living who actually deliver the documents. They don't get filed on the normal docket. How do you transport and hold these documents? All of that is part of SEPA. Then you have SEPA Section 4, which says there are some documents that are so sensitive that even if you have this SEPA Section 3 protective order in place that protects these documents from uh, the normal way they're handled in criminal cases, the government says, we're not turning these documents over. These documents are not helpful in the case. And if we turned them over, they could pose some real serious harm to our national security. So who decides whether they have to get turned over or not? In the first instance, it's the district court judge. It's the federal judge. In this case, it's Judge Eileen Cannon. And if this case was filed, um, or other classified information procedure act type case, or protection act cases are filed in other jurisdictions, they would go before those other federal judges who are assigned the case. But here, Mar-a-Lago is based in the Southern District of Florida Federal District Court's jurisdiction. So Jack Smith had no option but to file in this in this courthouse, and it got assigned to Judge Eileen Cannon, and the assignments are done on a random basis. And so that's how we arrived here. So SEPA Section 4, though, is always done on a ex parte under seal basis uh, with what's called an in-camera review where the criminal defendant and the criminal defense lawyers are not allowed to be present. Why are they not allowed to be present? Because if they were present, it would defeat the whole purpose of SEPA Section 4, which says there are certain instances where the government can withhold certain documents from production and discovery because of their national security interest combined with the fact that it's not helpful in the case and the judge is to make that decision. Once the judge makes the decision that a document can be withheld, then there's discussions about do you need to do some sort of substitution or a summary of the document, a written summary. These documents involve nuclear codes. These documents involve war plans, but not actually turn over the war plans. And if you're saying, well, Judge Eileen Cannon's always going to get it wrong. She's always going to say Trump should have access to it. All of these issues when it comes to SEPA are immediately appealable on interlocutory review to the, in this case, the Court of Appeals would be the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals to review what Judge Eileen Cannon's doing. But Judge Eileen Cannon has not made any actual orders other than these weird paperless scheduling orders like the one I'm just showing you right now. So these paperless orders shifting the dates and moving the dates and all these kind of machinations, those are not subject to interlocutory appeal. And by the way, if you've been building on the logic we've been teaching here in our legal knowledge, what's the case that talks about interlocutory appeal review? 
Midland Asphalt. Remember the case that was cited before the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals in that American Oversight Brief? If there is a statute or strict constitutional basis for an interlocutory review, then you are allowed to have it. If not, you shouldn't have an interlocutory review. That's why this, the amicus brief argued in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals that Trump's absolute immunity appeal was not subject to interlocutory review by the Court of Appeals because there's nothing in the Constitution that mentions it. But when it comes to SEPA, in the statute, in the law itself, it talks about interlocutory appeals before the 11th Circuit. So that's, has a, that's based in the actual statute. If you're like, well, I think Judge Cannon's going to get it wrong. That's why she's doing all these paperless orders to try to avoid actually making a ruling that she should have to make. What if you could support small family farmers and reduce your environmental imprint all while enjoying the hot... Moi. They're located in rural... ...farming... In advance of the upcoming oinkbox.com slash legal AF. So here, when Judge Cannon is basically saying, in advance of the upcoming SEPA Section 4 hearings, and to assist in the court's evaluation of defendant's motion for access to SEPA Section 4, the court hereby schedules a hearing with the special counsel on January 31st, 2024. This hearing shall be conducted on a sealed ex parte basis in a facility suitable for the discussion of classified information. So what she's discussing, but trying to throw like a favor to Donald Trump, she's actually talking about what a SEPA Section 4 hearing should be. What she's saying on January 31st, 2024, is that she's going to hold this in-camera ex parte under seal hearing where only the special counsel's office is going to show up and she's going to review the documents with them, which is what SEPA Section 4 says. But then she goes to then determine or to reach a conclusion on Donald Trump's request, on the defendant's request for access to the SEPA Section 4 filings. Um, and let's be very clear, they don't have access to the SEPA Section 4 filings. It, it, it's built into the SEPA Section 4. They don't. It's ex parte, it's in camera, it's under seal. The defense doesn't have access to it. Now, if there is a ruling by Judge Cannon that the material that she sees during the SEPA Section 4 hearing is information that she believes cannot be withheld. She says this is crucial evidence for Donald Trump or whoever the defendant would be. And um, it's, it's, in, it's very helpful. And on balance, the national security interests don't outweigh that factor. I'm turning it over. You make that decision in the under seal hearing without the defense, and then you turn it over to the defendant under the protective order, which was entered into under SEPA Section 3. Before that would happen, though, you certainly would have an appeal taken by special counsel Jack Smith's team or whoever was representing the government in, in a specific case, whichever prosecutorial team was representing him. You would stay Judge Cannon's order, pause it, go to the 11th Circuit and go, whoa, the district court judge just made a terrible ruling in the SEPA Section 4 hearing. Stop what Judge Cannon's doing and reverse it. These documents cannot be turned over in the case. That would be the natural progression. But Judge Cannon's creating like these other steps. She's like, 
before we hold the SEPA, the, the, the SEPA Section 4 hearing, so I can determine if Donald Trump's lawyers should appear at the SEPA Section 4, I'm going to hold like a, my own version of a SEPA Section 4 hearing to then determine if Trump should be in the SEPA Section 4 hearing. But what Cannon's really just talking about is a SEPA Section 4 hearing in general, because Donald Trump's lawyers are not allowed to be in the SEPA Section 4. It's just that clear. This is what SEPA Section 4 says. The court, upon a sufficient showing, may authorize the United States to delete specified items of classified information from documents to be made available to the defendant through discovery under the federal rules of criminal procedure to substitute a summary of the information for such classified documents or to substitute a statement admitting relevant facts that the classified information would tend to prove. The court may permit the United States to make a request for such authorization in the form of a written statement to be inspected by the court alone, to be inspected by the court alone. If the court enters an order granting relief following such an ex parte showing, the entire text of the statement of the United States shall be sealed and preserved in the records of the court to be made available to the appellate court in the event of an appeal. And so what SEPA Section 4 says is, is, is very clear. So when Judge Cannon says, I want to hold a hearing first, just speak to the government, take a look at the document, <sighs> then determine there's nothing at that first hearing that will ever lead to a conclusion that Trump should then be at a SEPA Section 4 hearing that he's not allowed to be at. Nothing can happen at this January 3rd, the 31st hearing that could change the judge's mind. So what is she doing right now? Playing games, doing more of these paperless orders to just completely delay the inevitable that she will soon get turned over, reversed by... Um, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals when she actually finally makes an order. And she's trying to learn on the job here because she doesn't know what she's doing. She's never handled a SEPA case before. And if she did, she would do what Judge Tanya Chutkin did. Donald Trump made the same types of frivolous arguments before Judge Tanya Chutkin. Judge Tanya Chutkin entered an elegant minute order very early, said, look, I'm willing to hear from you, Donald Trump and your lawyers, why you think you should participate in a SEPA Section 4 hearing, despite the fact that every case everywhere and the plain statute says you can't. If you can convince me otherwise, you can come into the SEPA Section 4. And then obviously Trump couldn't. And she said, no, you can't come into the SEPA Section 4 because that's simply not what is allowed by the statute, by its plain language here. But we've seen Judge Cannon do this over and over again. Um, she's set these hearings on SEPA Section 4 uh, in February, mid-February. Then we've got pretrial motions, February 22nd, 2024. That's when Donald Trump is going to file all, a slew of motions to dismiss on all of these various grounds. And then we have a scheduling conference on March 1st, 2024. I've said this before, I'll say it again. I expect that Judge Eileen Cannon, we could expect her in February, just based on what she's doing now, all of this will come to a head because you can't keep creating these bizarre paperless orders that don't do anything. You can only do that for so long. So eventually she's going to have to make an actual ruling. And she's already set up her rulings for her to be reversed eventually. Jack Smith knows that. But as I said, I expect Judge Cannon to 
dismissed. I do expect her to grant Donald Trump's motions to dismiss the case when he files that. I don't expect her to do anything right there. And I expect that she will eventually make the wrong ruling on SEPA and she'll allow Trump's lawyers, I think, to, to, to show up at the SEPA section for him. But don't worry, that becomes immediately appealable. And then finally, Jack Smith can go to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals and say, stop it. Look at all this chaos that was created. She's setting hearings that don't even exist. Like Again, this, this SEPA Section 4 precursor thing that she's setting in this minute order, it isn't a thing that doesn't exist. You have SEPA Section 4, that's it. Then you go to SEPA Section 5, then you go to SEPA Section 6. There's an orderly process to this all, and she just doesn't know what she is doing. And that's why even though she still has her trial date scheduled for May 20th of 2024, there's a status conference scheduled for March 1st of 2024. She's going to get appealed before then, and I that will stay the trial date. And then what I think will happen is by the time the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals rules, which is going to happen soon, that Trump doesn't have absolute immunity. By the time that gets through the United States Supreme Court, Judge Cannon's orders are going to get reversed. She's going to get stayed, and then uh, pending that, and then I think you'll actually see the DC case take place sometime in that in that May time period. Would be my uh, prediction as of now, and then before that, we have the Manhattan District Attorney case uh, in New York. We'll see if that one goes first on March. Uh, 25th, where it's uh, currently scheduled for as well, for Donald Trump's falsification of business record. We'll keep you posted. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers here at the Midas Dudge Network. Let's get there this month. Thank you for watching. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch. Let's keep up with the most no Instagram. News of the What are you waiting for? Follow us now. Yeah, what are you waiting for, Jack? for Jack Smith to do his job and relieve Judge Cannon of her duties. Cannon of her job. Exclamation point. Um, unhinged diaper dawn.
At Healthy Home Flooring, we develop the 12 bonus services available to our customers. This is Michael Popak, Legal Layoff. Sometimes you hear about these discrete events. Check and see if you're there. Shout this out. is Michael Popak, Legal Layoff. Sometimes you hear about these discrete events, these data points, and they seem to be independent and not connected. But when you connect the dots and bring it all back to Donald Trump, it all makes sense. And that's just happened in the last several days. It starts with the reporting that Roger Stone, political operative hatchet man, convicted felon who had a sentence commuted and pardoned by Donald Trump for lying during the Mueller investigation of Trump's involvement with Russia interference and, uh, in an attempt to undermine Hillary Clinton's campaign. There's new reporting and a new recording, secretly, obviously, of Roger Stone in Fort Lauderdale in 2020, threatening to assassinate and take out uh, uh, Jerry Nadler and Eric Swalwell, two Congress people on the House Judiciary Committee who were investigating the actual pardon of Roger Stone. I'm going to play that for you. And uh, Roger Stone also being one of the people who came up with the Stop the Steal back in 2015 and 2016 that Donald Trump eventually used. So you got that mob-style threat by Roger Stone to assassinate members of Congress who were interfering with Donald Trump's ability to get re-elected. Hold that thought. Now let's connect it over to uh, uh, and, and move the time machine back to Roy Cohen. Roy Cohen, uh, Donald Trump has always been said by those around Donald Trump, closest to Donald Trump, that he was a student of the lawyer and political hatchet man at the time, Roy Cohen. Roy Cohen came to fame as a young lawyer working for Senator Joe McCarthy the as mob. they were investigating falsely destroying lives about communists in America. That was back in the 1950s. Roy Cohen then became a big hitter, a lawyer and political operative and lobbyist in New York, um, representing uh, not only Donald Trump, but also representing members of various crime families, including the original Teflon Don, John Gotti, uh, and others. He represented Roy Cohen, who represented Donald Trump, and Donald Trump kind of learned at the knee of. Also represented Carmine Galanti, John Gotti, Fat Tony Salerno. Those kind of people were his clients. And that's where Donald Trump learned. As somebody most once famously said, Donald Trump is a user of other users, and there was no bigger user than Roy Cohen. So you got Roy Cohen back in the 70s and 80s and 90s guiding a relatively young Donald Trump about how to make it in the world of New York business, represents all of these mobsters, of course, and teaches him the rough and tumble, sharp elbowed practices that Donald Trump continues to use today. So you've got Roy Cohen and the mobster connections. You've got Roger Stone making mobster-like threats to take out and kill Congress people. You've got the reporting from earlier in the year where Donald Trump himself has made mob-like threats against members and participants in the criminal justice system. Who can forget the now famous social media posting with Donald Trump holding a baseball bat and the other side of the baseball bat about to be brained in the photo is Alvin Bragg, <clears throat> Manhattan District Attorney, who is prosecuting 
Donald Trump related to the Stormy Daniels hush money cover-up affair that goes to trial in March. We also know that just recently, Donald Trump also so did social media postings threatening prosecutors around the country that are, that are uh, legitimately in good faith investigating him, grand juries having indicted him, and now he's in the criminal justice system, saying that you come after me, I'll come after you. Another page ripped right out of the mafia handbook. And now art uh, imitating life, life imitating art, and life imitating life, you now have Sammy the Bull Gravano, who is a admitted mobster, member of the Gotti crime family, turned famously on the family and um, testified for the government, was put into some sort of witness protection, but came out of witness protection, and actually has a podcast, not on our network, uh, called uh, This Thing of Ours or something like that, where he, you know, just sits in a chair and uh, just ruminates about his life as a hitman. And there's a whole uh, clip of him bragging about um, the fact that, uh, you know, not him, but others in his gang tried to shake down Donald Trump in the 1980s about Trump Tower, you know, trying to get him to pay uh, bribe money and things like that, and that and Donald Trump wouldn't do it. Now, more recently, I'm going to play that clip in a minute. And then more recently, Sammy the Bull posted something on his social media. And as a character reference, Donald Trump said, thank you, Sammy the Bull, mobster, hitman who killed people. I agree with you. I'm not corruptible or something like that. First, let me play some of these clips, and then I'm going to tie it all together at the end of the hot take. Let's first go back to Roger Stone's audio of him threatening to kill Jerry Nadler and Eric Swalwell. Now, in that one, it's at a small little restaurant that I know down in Florida, in Fort Lauderdale, on Las Olas Boulevard. Shout out to Cafe Europa, who was the apparent scene of this conversation. The other person that he was talking to was Sal Greco, a former New York City Police Department officer, an NYPD officer who was serving as a security guard for Roger Stone, went with Roger Stone to Jan 6th at the insurrection and, and served as his security detail. He's been separated from the Manhattan for the New York uh, Police Department, but this was his conversation with, with the Greco. It's a little bit difficult to hear, but let's play the clip. Disturbing new audio of Trump associate Roger Stone discussing the assassination of Democratic Congressman Eric Swalwell and Jerry Nadler with an NYPD cop weeks before the 2020 election. I like it. It's the price is blow my mind. Okay, so you've got that, uh, which Greco has not denied. He just said it's old political information that people shouldn't be that interested in. I don't know if a person says they're going to assassinate people that um, as political enemies on the House Judiciary Committee. I don't care when I find out about it. That sounds very interesting. And I'm, hopefully it's interesting to the FBI, the Secret Service, and the Department of Justice. Because Roger Stone's pardon doesn't go as far 
uh, and we'll put that up on the screen, doesn't go as far as future bad acts or bad acts in the past that people didn't know about. So he wouldn't be pardoned for that particular activity. So you have that. Then you've got, let's move it forward. It's all in the same vein. Sammy the Bull Gravano. Here's a clip of him during his podcast <laughs> uh, a couple of years ago in which he uh, said that he had an interaction with Donald Trump, but that Donald Trump was very well protected, almost indicating to Sammy the Bull that Donald Trump himself was in his own version of the mafia, well protected by a very hard-hitting and, and uh, politically active father, uh, Fred Trump. And, um, you know, he went, you know, he, he had his own money and uh, he had ex-FBI guys around him. In other words, this wasn't the guy to F with, to paraphrase, Sammy the Bull Gravano, and they kind of went off and, and found other ways to to disturb Donald Trump. But when they try to shake him down, Donald J. He's on big Trump. construction jobs, union jobs. He's not on rehab, HUD work. He's not in that type of work. And he's not in small construction. He's in major high-rise situations. It's very hard to fuck with Trump. His, Trump, his jobs are melting hundreds of millions of dollars, high rise. And uh, it's all union, straight up union. He has around him ex-FBI agents, a battery of them, two, three, four, has security. It's very, very difficult to fuck with him. Eddie Garofolo, who got killed, I just talked about, did a, uh, a demolition job. I believe it, for, it was for Trump Towers. I believe it was that job. One of the jobs that he was dumping that trash and construction debris and stuff in a hole. I think that's the job. But Trump ran around in some different circles all over the place. He was very wealthy, came from a very wealthy family. He's not self-made. His father was a heavyweight construction guy with a ton of fucking money and a ton of connections with the government, politicians, FBI. When you start getting people that connected, fucking with them is not a smart move. Try to shake them down is not a small move. I gave him union problems a bunch of times to try to get it, get into it. I wanted his people to want to bribe me to stop the problems. But I never got into that with him. So it's a little bit different. Not that I would expect consistency, ethical consistency, or intellectual honesty by Sammy the Bull Gravano, but you know his recent social media tweet that Donald Trump's all excited about because yes, he got the endorsement of the mafia. I, I can't even believe these words are floating out of my mouth, um, but it's not exactly what Sammy the Bull said. In the tweet, in the social media posting, Sammy the Bull said, well, Donald Trump's incorruptible. I tried and I couldn't do it. Okay. okay, that's not what the video, that's not what the clip says. But the clip says that in the 1980s, you know, 40 years ago, 
um, he couldn't get to Donald Trump because Donald Trump had his own mafia-like uh, cocoon around him, led by his father, Fred Trump, ex-FBI agents, and his, and his wealth. And, the, and they couldn't get to him. They couldn't F with him because of that. Not that he was incorruptible, just that he, they, he was impenetrable, if you will, the, the, the guard wall around him, right? And that they, but they did find ways to F with him another way, to paraphrase Sammy the Bull, by, you know, just disturbing certain other aspects of the construction project around uh, what he thought was Trump Tower. But to Donald Trump, endorsement of Sammy the Bull Gravano, I've been waiting for that for years. It's, it's music to my ears. Let me, let me post that I am incorruptible. And how do you know that? Because the mafia says it. All right. I mean, you guys can make your own assessment based on the information that I just did. But but look at the world that I've just portrayed around um, Donald Trump, starting with Roy Cohen, uh, the political hatchet man and fixer and lawyer who was ultimately disgraced, disbarred, tax cheat. Does this sound familiar for Donald Trump's people who Donald Trump learned the knee of? I mean, Roy Cohen is so influential on Donald Trump that in the middle in the middle of trying to convince his then Attorney General Jeff Sessions to stay and do the investigation or not related to the Russia interference in, in the election and trying to undermine Hillary Clinton. And Jeff Sessions famously backed out and appointed a special prosecutor in Roger Mueller. In, uh, in Mueller. Um, when Donald Trump tried to get Don McGahn, his White House counsel, to go to Sessions to try to convince him to stay and not appoint a special counsel, and that failed, Donald Trump famously blurted out, where's my Roy Cohen? Because he was mad at Don McGahn for not having been able to pull off keeping Sessions on the, on the case, so to speak. So, you know, Roy Cohen's in, um, inside of Donald Trump's head is very well documented, and that's why Donald Trump talks like a mobster about taking out somebody and braining somebody and I'll come in here to get you um, and all this other uh, behavior. Although, you know, I lived in New York for a long time and when all the old dons of all the five families in New York were prosecuted by the, F by the uh, FBI, the Department of Justice and brought down under racketeering statutes, I don't remember any of them holding press conferences in the hallway or, or on the steps of the courthouse, certainly not social media, which predated them, you know, attacking the justice system, the judges, the prosecutors, or their staff. They weren't that stupid. And by the way, most of them went to jail for a long, long time. Sammy the Bull only avoided jail because he testified was a turncoat rat against the, against the mafia. This is the role model that Donald Trump holds up as the bastion of, of ethics and character that he wants to, um, that he wants to live by. So um, you've got Roy Cohen and also, of course, representing a lot of members of the mafia at the time, including Don, uh, uh, John Gotti, the uh, Teflon Don. And then you got Roger Stone when Roy Cohen died of AIDS, um, having hidden the fact that he was uh, bisexual or gay for most of his life and died ultimately of AIDS. You know, you got Donald Trump sort of looking around for his next Roy Cohen and uh, it landed, you know, the wheel landed on Roger Stone. It's very similar, by the way. He dresses ridiculous, flamboyantly with weird bowler hats and three-piece suits with mix-matched fabrics and all sorts of... We'll put up some photos. And that became his, his Roy Cohen. And of course, you got this version, this, this Roy Cohen light, making threats in 2020 now 
against uh, members of Congress to try to assassinate them. At the same time, you got now bringing it full circle, Donald Trump crediting Sammy the Bull Gravano for standing up for him being a character reference. We're going to continue to follow what, if you hear them in their kind of discrete independence, you think are unconnected, weird data points. But I've just connected the dots and run it all through you here. Only on the Midas Touch Network, on Legal AF, we do it, breaking it down at the intersection of law, politics, and justice every Wednesday and Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And then on hot takes like this one, about every hour, only one place. Don't change that dial. It's the Midas Touch Network on YouTube. Help them get the 2 million free subscribers with your thumbs and fingers. That's how you do it. And then you can pick up our Legal AF podcast. Uh, wherever you get audio podcasts from and uh, of your choice from Google, Spotify or Apple and the like. So until my next hot take, give me a thumbs up, leave a comment on this one. Until my next legal AF, this is Michael Popak reporting. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report. Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram at Midas Touch to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. <laughs> Thumbs up. This is Michael Popak, and it must be time for Legal AF After Dark. There's a trial that's about to take place next week against Donald Trump. No, not that one, not one of the criminal ones. <laughs> one of the major civil ones, in this case, a tens of millions of dollar punitive damage case against Donald Trump while he awaits the ruling from Judge Angoron in the New York civil fraud case that's up to $370 million. He still has to defend himself against having not only sexually assaulted, but defamed E. Jean Carroll in the 1990s, uh, uh, or denying that he knew her from the 1990s, and then defaming her when he was the president of the United States, for which he has no immunity. Confused? We'll sort it all out on the Midas Touch Network's Legal AF. Take a listen to our most recent clip and analysis. And um, let's talk about the last two topics. One shouldn't take us too long. E. Jean Carroll, it's another day in court that she deserves. In advance, Judge Kaplan, this is in federal court in New York, starts next week. Get a jury. Donald Trump has been tried every every trick in the book to try to avoid this case. He brought a defense three years late that he was the president at the time and he has presidential immunity. Rejected by the Second Circuit Court of Appeals as being brought too late and he has waived his right to do it. Um, that's, an, that, that's on Alina Hoppe and Donald Trump. He is, it looks like he is not going to take an emergency appeal to the United States Supreme Court, at least as of this recording tonight. He's not doing that, probably because they've got enough on their hands right now with things that matter about his liberty, like whether he has immunity from criminal prosecution and whether he, uh, two of his counts should be dismissed at the D.C. Court of, uh, at the D.C. trial level, um, and, some, and whether he should be on the ballot in any state. And I don't think he wants to throw this one on there at this particular moment. So as of right now, this, this case goes to trial. 
judge has already ruled that Donald Trump will not be able to retry in front of the jury whether he raped her, uh, E. Jean Carroll, or not. It's already been decided that he did by a jury and by a judge, um, and he's not going to be able to have a do-over uh, on this particular issue. The only and he won't be able to go after her or talk about you know any of her her, her you know victimize the victim again. And, and this gave the judge another opportunity because Donald Trump asked for it to have the judge recite exactly about eight or nine more times that Donald Trump was found to have 